We are at the beginning of a new series starting today. For the last six weeks, lots of you know we've been talking about prayer. And so I'm hoping that some of those things that I was sharing with you over the last few weeks with regards to prayer, I'm hoping those things are still bubbling, kicking around in your brain. And I would love for you to take some of those things that we've talked about and hopefully some of those things that you've experienced in prayer as I've invited you to try some things and experiment. I'm hoping you're gonna take all those things with you into this new series that we're beginning today. Because this new series is also about prayer in some ways, except now we're focusing on a particular book of the Bible that helps us to pray. It's the book of Psalms. And um, I'm not going to be the only one standing up here talking about that, much to your relief, probably. You're probably sick of hearing from me. You get to hear from so many other people here in our church, lots of gifted communicators who will be sharing with you some of their insights around the book of Psalms. And if you want to know who they are, you can take a look at your newsletter. We have them all outlined in there, and we invite you to, to read along with us, to pray along with us. You'll see kind of ahead of time which psalm we're going to be talking about that week, and so we invite you to pray. Pray either in advance of hearing about the psalm at church, or maybe you want to pray after, because hopefully what we share with you is going to help you to know how to pray. As you try this, as you try to pray with the Psalms, I have a few little tips for you, a few little suggestions to help you to understand how to use this crazy book of worship songs, of prayer songs, 150 of them in the book of Psalms, how do you pray them? So here are some things to know. This book of the Bible, called the Psalms, functions differently than any other book you'll find in the Bible. It's not so much a book that's teaching us something. It's not so much a book that's giving us truths about God. In fact, although this is the inspired word, I believe that the Holy Spirit has inspired all of Scripture, including the book of Psalms, what you'll find in those 150 Psalms are more God's word for us, not God's word to us. And so I think if you see up on the screen here, the first thing I'd like you to know is that the Psalms are not God's word to me, but our words back to God. These are words kind of scribbled on someone's spiritual journal, if you can kind of, if those things existed back then. You were kind of looking over the shoulder and reading someone else's response to God. And these responses have been crafted over hundreds of years by all kinds of different people. And they're the words that were inspired by the Spirit that you can speak back to God. And they're not just words for an individual to pray, not just words for an individual to use to respond to God, but they're, they're a communal response. These are words that are meant for a community to pray. And that that means sometimes words for a whole group of people to say at the same time, but it also means that it reflects the experience, the joys and the sorrows and the, and the praise and the grief of, of a whole people, a whole community of people. So you might come across a psalm and go, oh, I have no idea how to relate to that. Wow, that's, that's not a psalm for me. 
Well, it might not be a psalm for you that day, but it might be a psalm for someone else in your community or certainly someone else in the world. You can be sure that something embedded in one of those psalms is the prayer, is the longing of someone in your community, someone in our world. And so there may be a time when you come across a psalm and you're meant to pray it for someone else, that you're meant to pray for a group of people. So psalms, not God's word to me, but our words to God. Another thing I want you to know if you decide that you want to embark on this adventure of praying the psalms is that these words are not theological pronouncements. They are permission to be honest. So that means a few things. These words are not meant, as I've already said, to illustrate doctrine, to influence moral behavior. In fact, if you read the psalms really carefully, you will find some things that are not to be tried at home. Um, threats, desires for vengeance. Um, there are some psalms that, that suggest some pretty terrible things, like Psalm, I want to say 37. Maybe it's, no, it's not 137. I think it's Psalm 37. Someone, I think David, is so angry, he wishes for his enemies' babies to be, for, for his enemies' babies' heads to be dashed against rocks. Okay? So that psalm is not, oh, I'm reading this. God's telling me to go and work out my anger issues on someone else's. No, that's, that's not what these psalms are meant for. These psalms help us to express anger, though. They help us to feel anger. And in fact, God is the best place for us to go with those feelings of anger. God is not scared or intimidated or, or, or judging our anger. So these psalms give us permission to be honest before God. They don't help us to do anger, but they do help us to, to feel anger. Also, these words are not theological pronouncements in as much as there's, there's poetry in these psalms. So there's poetic images that don't necessarily line up with scientific theory, but they're not meant to. They're meant to be poetry. They're meant to express metaphorically something that's true. So psalms are not God's word to me, but God's words for us. The Psalms are not theological pronouncements, but permission to be honest. The Psalms are also not promises, but, but they're praise amidst the highs and lows of life. So you might read some Psalms that appear to promise a happy, trouble-free, secure, comfortable life. And would that be so? Of course, there are other psalms where someone is in a real pickle and they're saying, oh God, help me, where are you? I don't see you. So neither of those things are, um, are meant to capture all of life in that instant. The psalms are a way of us giving thanks to God in the midst of the highs and the lows. So when everything's going great and your life is secure and comfortable, praise God and describe it and give thanks to God for that. But when your life is hard and you've been crying out for help for a long time and you don't know whether God is hearing you or not, then call out to God because God is present in the highs and the lows. So that's just a little bit in a summation, just a little bit of an introduction as to how you might be helped as you pray the Psalms. So that's the book of Psalms overview. 
We're going to narrow the focus a little bit more now to look at the set of psalms we're going to be going through this summer. They're called the Psalms of Ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T, Psalms of Ascent, Psalms 120 to 134. And scholars are not sure as to what exactly the Psalms of Ascent are. One theory, and it's a very good theory, which we're kind of going with in this series, is that these psalms were psalms that pilgrims would sing as they walked to Jerusalem. So God's people were called to travel to Jerusalem as pilgrims three times a year during uh, three separate festivals in celebration of those festivals. They were um, traveling to Jerusalem. Jesus and his family, in fact, traveled to Jerusalem and Jesus was about 12 years old and he gets lost on that trip. You might remember that story. So that was one of those pilgrimages. So these psalms, Psalms 120 to 134, were likely the psalms that these groups of people sang as they walked up to Jerusalem. My analogy is like what I used to sing with my friends on the bus going on a choir trip. We'd sing like 100 bottles of beer on the wall. Like I'm wondering if these psalms were that. A little bit more meaningful in this case a little bit more spiritually formative, Um, but that sense of we're traveling together and we're singing these songs together. This analogy of a pilgrimage might not be that familiar to all of us, although I know some of us have walked uh, the Camino. There's that sense of, of going somewhere and the destination is meaningful, but the journey is also meaningful, right? So the Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent remind us of this journey and this destination, both of which are meaningful, kind of like the Christian life. And so Eugene Peterson has written this wonderful book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. And it's a great title for a book. It's a great description of the Christian life. And Eugene Peterson has looked at Psalms 120 to 134 and classified them all as as somehow forming a part of the shape of this journey towards Christ. And so our CAP church uh, communicators this summer are kind of drawing their cues from some of the things that Eugene Peterson says about each of these psalms. So today's psalm, Psalm 122. I've had the experience of reading some psalms and finding myself all of a sudden just swept up. Like I understand immediately what the psalmist is talking about and there's this raw kind of immediacy to the psalm and like you, you, you have this feeling, <clears throat> you don't quite know how to pray it to God and you read the psalm and you get it right away and you're like, ah, I get it. Psalm 122 is not that psalm. It requires some explanation. It requires some thinking. Uh, And in fact, I chose it because when I first read it, it kind of left me cold. I was kind of like, yeah, other psalms I like, but you know, this psalm I'm not sure about. And of course, uh, being the very good and gracious and servant leader that I am, I let everybody else pick their psalm first, so I was kind of left with, you know, some of the trickier ones. But as I've read and thought about this psalm, Psalm 122, after I've After I did a little bit of homework, after I did a little bit of thinking, I have once again found myself swept up 
in the words of the psalm, and it has brought a name to something, to that ache that I feel as I walk around my neighborhood that I didn't quite have before. So let's see how it strikes you as I read to you Psalm 122. A Psalm of Ascents by David. I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. Let us go to the house of the Lord, the psalm begins. This psalm is one of the best psalms in this series of psalms, the psalm of ascents, to tell us what, what the pilgrimage is like. People are invited to go on pilgrimage, and it's like, oh, let's go to the house of the Lord. Let's go to Jerusalem. Oh, good, let's go. Let's go. And so off go the travelers, marching towards Jerusalem. Jerusalem, it's the governing image of this whole psalm. And to be honest, it, it comes up all throughout the Psalms of Ascents and throughout the Psalms and throughout Scripture, actually. And I've never totally got it. What's this big deal about Jerusalem? Jerusalem. Well, it's the holy city. It's this, the holy city. Why? Because the temple is there, the temple that Solomon built. And of course, back in that time, the temple was the one place you could go where you knew God was. The temple was the holy place. And so Jerusalem represented the religious heart of the Hebrew people. Jerusalem also was a strategically important city established by King David. So it's a city of religious importance and it's a city of, of political importance. It's the city that gave the, God, the people of God their identity. Jerusalem was the place where the Hebrew people could go, yes, that's, that's who I am. I'm God's set-apart people. And King David, the best king there ever was, this is his city. If I could think of a present-day analogy for the way that Jerusalem represents the heart of a people, one analogy I could think of is like New York. I'm just thinking I've got some New Yorkers right over here in this area. So New York, the, the city that captures the imagination of <clears throat> the American people and, and many others as well, right? This iconic city. How many songs are written about New York? How many movies take place in New York? How many people do pilgrimages of sorts to New York, present company included, to go and see the culture and to learn about the history New York is that place that somehow embodies the identity of a people. Jerusalem was destroyed. The temple was destroyed. The city was ransacked in 587 
BC. And when that city was destroyed, it completely devastated the people as well. Jerusalem was a place where God uniquely dwelt. Jerusalem was this safe, secure place. And all of a sudden, somehow God didn't keep it safe. And having just spoken about New York, I think the destruction that took place on 9-11 was similar to the psyche of the American people. Something that people could not have imagined took place, took place. And all of a sudden, the world is different. The identity of the people is different. And so as we think about what happened to Jerusalem in 587 BC, before Common Era, if we think about what it must have done to the people of Israel to have lost their temple, to have lost their holy city, maybe we begin to understand this psalm. So this psalm was likely written after the devastation of Jerusalem. We don't know that for sure. But we do have a little bit of a hint of that as we continue to read in the psalm. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say peace be within you. It's this this prayer for the well-being, the peace, the shalom of the city. And why would you need to pray that if, if it was already there? Why would you be longing for it so very much if it was already a done deal? Now, we know that the temple was rebuilt sometime after its devastation. And so we don't know the state of the temple at the time when this prayer was written, when it was being prayed. And yet there's this now but not yet tension as we read the psalm, right? There's this sense of, oh, we're, we're here, we're in Jerusalem, and there is something about this city that's standing. And yet still, may there be peace here. May there be restoration here. That word peace, you already know, it's the word shalom. Flourishing, prosperity, wholeness. And it's interesting, actually, because the word Jerusalem, many translators think is actually Jeru, meaning city, and Shalom, city of peace. Jeru Shalom. And is it an ironic when you think about the state of the city of peace today? There is no peace in that city. Now, I don't think this is actually a prayer for the peace of the literal Jerusalem, but that would be an okay prayer to pray, right? This city, which has continually, over the years, been a place of conflict, not a place of peace. A, A place where two world religions consider their own ownership of that city to be uncontested. Jerusalem is a place of strife and bloodshed and conflict. It is not a place of peace. So what is the psalm about? Is it, is it a prayer for the literal peace of Jerusalem? Is it, is it a way to help us pray for peace in the Middle East? Maybe. But of course, I've already said to you that this Jerusalem is, is both a specific place, but it's also an idea. It's also a, a metaphor. 
And it's a metaphor that extends beyond the Old Testament into the New Testament. Some of you know that my favorite chapter in the Bible is Revelation chapter 21, a place that depicts the restoration of all God's creation, the restoration of heaven and earth, and the the centerpiece of that restoration. What is it? It's the new Jerusalem. It's the holy city descending from heaven to earth. And God is uniquely there. There doesn't need to be a temple anymore. God is uniquely there, making all things new by his presence there. And that, I think, is part of the key to how we pray this psalm. Jerusalem, a place of peace, a place where God reigns, a place where God brings his flourishing and wholeness and restoration. All kinds of places, not just one place, but all kinds of places can be places of Jerusalem. And those places are the places, quite frankly, that that you are sent. Those places of peace and flourishing, those are the places that God sends you. A few weeks ago, we prayed the Lord's Prayer, and we prayed those prayers, Your kingdom come, your kingdom, God. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And and that's what this prayer is. Psalm 122 is a prayer for God's kingdom reign, for God's kingdom to come, not in one specific geographical place called Jerusalem, but in those places where God calls us to be as his people of peace. And so that's the prayer that I found myself praying as I was walking around in my neighborhood. Your kingdom come. As I'm walking up the doorstep to these people who have a lovely, amazing house, who seem to have everything that they need, and yet they've never come to our block party. What is it that keeps them from entering in to this invitation to be a part of a greater community? What what is it that prevents them from from taking the time or from risking a little bit. God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come to this family. Matt and I had a, the delight of meeting a neighbor who lived across the street. He, he lives like not in the house right across the street, but two doors down. We have never met him in our entire 18 years of being in that neighborhood. And then, as we learned a little bit more about him, he's lived there pretty much his whole life, since 1967. And Matt and I are like, how have we never crossed paths? We give him an invitation every year to our party, and of course, he hasn't ever come, so maybe he'll come this time because we connected with him. But I'm just getting to know this amazing, welcoming man and thinking, your kingdom come, God. Your, your peace come to him and his household and, and to our community. And, and how am I meant to be shalom to him? God, how are you calling me to be your ambassador of shalom? That ache in me. I don't know if you identify it with it or not. Maybe, maybe it's not your neighbors. Maybe it's another place. But is there that ache in you? that ache to see God's wholeness come. I know that that ache exists in many of you because I see you living it out in your lives. 
I read this wonderful quote this week, which is not actually a quote about Psalm 122. It's actually a quote uh, that's a commentary on um, one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But it's this, this idea of being an aching visionary for God that I thought was so evocative that I would read it to you. And it's the last bit of it is up here on the screen. Aching visionaries, people who follow Christ and want to bring God shalom, they are the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace, there is no one blind and who ache whenever they see someone unseen. They're the ones who realize that in God's realm, there is no one hungry and who ache whenever they see someone starving. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one falsely accused and who ache whenever they see someone imprisoned unjustly. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one who fails to see God and who ache whenever they see someone unbelieving. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one who suffers oppression and who ache whenever they see someone beat down. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm there is no one without dignity and who ache whenever they see someone treated with indignity. They are the ones who realize that in God's realm of peace there is neither death nor tears and who ache whenever they see someone crying tears over death. They are aching visionaries. May there be peace God, may there be peace in this place. May there be peace with these coworkers. May there be peace with these struggling parents. May there be peace between these groups of people that are not speaking to one another. May there be peace in my family. May there be peace amongst those who are oppressed. It's a cry for shalom. And this psalm, Psalm 122, it's not a lament as much as it's a prayer of anticipation. That was another one of those ideas I was trying to get a, across to you in prayer, this, this way that prayer is anticipation and participation. And this psalm is that too. The way that the psalm ends is, is I will seek your prosperity. Not, not for myself, I don't think that what, that's what the psalm is saying, but this, it's this person who writes the psalm saying, I'm gonna be that one who brings your shalom. Not because I have it in me, but because, God, you are the source of all peace and shalom. And so I have a couple of questions for you. Um, and the one is one for, your, one for you to reflect on and one is for you to respond to out loud if you like. So the first question is just for you to consider yourselves what are the places you long to see filled with God's peace? Where is your Jerusalem? Where are those places in your life, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, in your everyday, where are those places where you long to see more of God's shalom? Just sit with that image for a moment. And as you think about that place, just even think, like pray along the lines of Psalm 122 in your heart, 
May there be peace. May your peace reign there. Pray for the peace of your Jerusalem. Pray for the peace and security of that place. And then just as we end, here's one last question for you. Because perhaps there are some of you who aren't sure you have a place where you are meant to seek God shalom, or maybe you have a place where you're not sure it's working. (laughs) There's a place in your life where you have been trying to bring shalom, or maybe you don't even know whether you've got one or not. So this is an opportunity for you to encourage one another. Where do you see others seeking the peace and prosperity of their place? And you hear me use that word place, not necessarily geographically. Um, but, But as I look out here, I see so many people. I mean, I could out all of you right now and tell you the places where I see you're seeking God shalom, where you are an ambassador of shalom. Um, But I'm not going to steal your thunder. So I invite you just to look around the room and maybe you want to, maybe you would like to encourage someone else right now. That's what this question is for. And just a few of you, it doesn't need, we don't have time for all of you to stand up anyway. But are there places where you, uh, people here where you say, I see that person doing that and I want to just encourage them in that. Because we all need encouragement because this peace-seeking process is sometimes very thankless. And so here's your opportunity now to encourage someone else just to say, I see you, I see you seeking shalom in, and then just name somebody.